Little Women, Chapter 5, Being Neighborly "'What in the world are you doing now, Joe?' asked Meg one snowy afternoon, as her sister came tramping through the hall in rubber boots and hood, a broom in one hand and a shovel in the other. "'Going out for exercise,' answered Joe with a twinkle. Meg went back to toast her feet and read Ivanhoe, and Joe began to dig paths with great energy. The snow was light, and she soon swept a path all around the garden, which separated the March's house from that of Mr. Lawrence. Both stood in a suburb of the city, which was still country-like, with groves and lawns, large gardens and quiet streets. On one side of the low hedge was an old brown house, looking rather bare and shabby, robbed of the vines that in summer covered its walls and the flowers which then surrounded it. On the other side was a stately stone mansion, plainly betokening every sort of comfort and luxury, from the big coach house and well-kept grounds to the conservatory and the glimpses of lovely things that one caught between the rich curtains. To Joe's lively fancy, this fine house seemed a kind of enchanted palace, full of splendors and delights. She had long wanted to behold these hidden glories and to know the Lawrence boy. Since the party she had been more eager than ever, and had planned many ways of making friends with him. But he had not been seen lately, and Joe began to think he had gone away, when one day she spied a brown face at an upper window, looking wistfully down into their garden, where Beth and Amy were snowballing one another. "'That boy's suffering for society and fun,' she said to herself. "'His grandpa does not know what's good for him, and keeps him shut up all alone. He needs somebody young and lively.' I've a mind to go over there and tell the old gentleman so. The idea amused Joe, who liked to do daring things. The plan was not forgotten, and when the snowy afternoon came, Joe resolved to try to do what could be done. She saw Mr. Lawrence drive off, then she sallied out to dig her way down to the hedge, where she paused and took a survey. All quiet, nothing human visible, but a curly black head leaning on a thin hand at an upper window. I'll toss up a snowball and make him look out, Joe thought. Up went a handful of soft snow, and the head turned at once. The face lost its listless look. The big eyes brightened and the mouth began to smile. Joe nodded and laughed as she called. How do you do? Are you sick? Lori opened the window and croaked. Better, thank you. I've had a bad cold and been shut up a week. I'm sorry. What do you amuse yourself with? Don't you read? Not much. They won't let me. Can't someone read to you? Grandpa does sometimes, but my books don't interest him, and I hate to ask Brooke all the time. Have someone come and see you, then. There isn't anyone I'd like to see. Boys make such a row. Isn't there some nice girl who'd read and amuse you? Don't know any. You know us, began Joe, and then laughed and stopped. So I do. Will you come, please, cried Lori. I'm not quiet and nice, but I'll come if Mother will let me. I'll go ask her shut the window like a good boy. With that, Joe shouldered her broom and marched into the house, wondering what they would all say to her. Lori was in a flutter of excitement at the idea of having company, and flew about to get ready. Presently, there came a loud ring, and then a decided voice asking for Mr. Lori, and a servant come to announce the young lady. "'All right, show her up. It's Miss Joe,' said Lori, going to the door of his little parlor to meet Joe, who appeared with a covered dish in one hand, and Beth's three kittens in the other. "'Here I am, bag and baggage,' she said briskly. "'Mother sends her love, and was glad 
if I could do anything for you. Meg wanted me to bring you some of her blancmange, and Beth thought that her cats would be comforting. I knew you'd laugh at them, but I couldn't refuse. It so happened that Beth's funny loan was just the thing, for in laughing over the kits, Lori forgot his bashfulness. That looks too pretty to eat, he said, smiling with pleasure as Joe uncovered the blancmange. Tell the girl to put it away for your tea. It's so simple that it'll slip down your th it will slip down without hurting your sore throat. What a cozy room this is. It might be if it was kept up nice. I'll write it up in two minutes. It only needs to have the hearth brushed so, and the things made straight on the mantelpiece so, and the books put here and the bottles there, and your sofa turned from the light and the pillows plumped up a bit. As she laughed and talked, Joe whisked things into place and gave the, a different air to the room. Lori watched her in respectful silence, and when she beckoned him to his sofa, he sat down with a sigh of satisfaction, saying gratefully, How kind you are. Please, take the big chair and let me amuse my company. No, I came to amuse you. Shall I read aloud? Thank you. I've read all those. If you don't mind, I'd rather talk. Not a bit. I'll talk all day. Beth says I never know when to stop. Is Beth the rosy one who stays at home a good deal and sometimes goes out with that little basket? Asked Lori with interest. Yes, she's my girl, and a regular good one she is, too. The pretty one is Meg, and the curly-haired is Amy. How did you find that out? Lori colored, colored, but answered frankly. Why, you see, I often hear you calling to one another, and I can't help looking over at your house. I beg your pardon for being so rude, but sometimes you forget to put down the curtain at the window where the flowers are, and when the lamps are lighted, it's like looking at a picture to see the fire and you all around the table with your mother. Her face is right opposite, and it looks so sweet behind the flowers. I haven't got any mother, you know. Lori poked the fire to hide a little twitching of his lips that he could not control. The solitary hunger in his eyes went straight to Joe's warm heart. Lori was sick and lonely, and feeling how rich she was in the home of love and happiness, she gladly tried to share it with him. Her sharp voice was unusually gentle as she said, We'll never draw the curtain any more, and I give you leave to look as much as you like. I just wish, though, instead of peeping, you'd come over and see us. Mother is so splendid. She'd do you heaps of good, and we'd have jolly times. Wouldn't your grandpa let you? I think he would, if your mother asked him. He's very kind, and he lets me do what I like, pretty much. Only he's afraid I might be a bother to strangers, began Laurie. We're not strangers, we're neighbors, and you needn't think you'd be a bother. We want to know you. You see, Grandpa lives among his books. Mr. Brooke, my tutor, doesn't stay here. I have no one to go about with me, so I just stay at home. That's bad. You ought to make an effort and go visiting everywhere you are asked. Then you'll have plenty of friends and places to go. Never mind being bashful. It won't last long. Do you like your school? Asked the boy, changing the subject. Don't go to school. I'm a businessman. Girl, I mean. I go to wait on my great aunt, and a dear cross old soul she is, too, answered Joe. She gave him a lively description of the old lady, her fat poodle, the parrot that talked Spanish, and the library where she reveled. Lori enjoyed it immensely. Then they got to talking about books, and to Joe's delight, she found that he loved them as well as she did. Come down and see ours, said Lori, getting up. Grandpa's out. You needn't be afraid. I'm not afraid of anything, returned Joe with a toss of her head. Lori led the way from room to room, letting Joe stop to examine whatever struck her fancy. 
At last they came to the library, where she clapped her hands and pranced, as she always did when delighted. It was lined with books, and there were pictures and statues and distracting little cabinets full of coins and curiosities and sleepy hollow chairs and queer tables and bronzes. Best of all, there was a great open fireplace with quaint tiles all around it. Oh, what richness, sighed Joe, sinking into the depth of a velvet chair. Theodore Lawrence, you ought to be the happiest boy in the world. Fellow can't live on books, said Laurie. Before he could say more, a bell rang. Joe flew up, exclaiming with alarm, me, Mercy me! It's your grandpa! Well, what if it is? You're not afraid of anything, you know. I think I'm a little bit afraid of him, but I don't know why I should be. Marmy said I might come, said Joe, composing herself. I'm a great deal better for it, and ever so much obliged, said Laurie gratefully. The doctor to see you, sir, and the maid beckoned as she spoke. Laurie went away, and Joe was standing before a fine portrait of the old gentleman when the door opened again. Without turning, she said, I'm sure now that I shouldn't be afraid of him, for he's got kind eyes, though his mouth is grim, and he looks as if he has tremendous will. He isn't as handsome as my grandfather, but I like him. Thank you, ma'am, said a gruff voice behind her, and there, to her great dismay, stood old Mr. Lawrence. Poor Joe blushed, and her heart began to beat uncomfortably fast. A wild desire to run away possessed her, but she resolved to stay and get out of the scrape as she could. A second look showed her that the living eyes under the bushy gray eyebrows were kinder even than the painted ones, and there was a sly twinkle in them, which lessened her fear a good deal. The gruff voice was gruffer than ever, as the old gentleman said abruptly after that dreadful pause. So you're not afraid of me, eh? "'Not much, sir. And you don't think me as handsome as your grandfather?' "'Not quite, sir. And I've got a tremendous will, have I?' "'I only said I thought so. But you like me in spite of it?' "'Yes, I do, sir.' The answer pleased the old gentleman. He gave a short laugh, shook hands with her, and putting his finger under her chin, turned up her face, examined it gravely, and said with a nod, "'You've got your grandfather's spirit, if you haven't his face. He was a fine man, my dear.' But what is better, he was a brave and honest one, and I was proud to be his friend. Thank you, sir. And Joe was quite comfortable after that. What have you been doing with this boy of mine, eh? Was the next question sharply put. Only trying to be neighborly, sir, and Joe told of her visit. You think he needs some cheering up a bit, do you? Yes, sir. He seems a little lonely. We should be glad to help if you could, if we could, for we don't forget the Christmas present you sent us, said Joe eagerly. That was the boy's affair. How is the wo poor woman? Doing nicely, sir. And Joe told about the Hummels, in whom her mother had interested friends. 